and we vacationed here in Columbia Falls for 18 years. And uh, the last time we were here was in my transition to faith. So I was here in March. In fact, I was down at uh, Bethel, and uh, that's where I met the Braves. Those of you that know the Braves, he's now my CFO at uh, Faith, and uh, really a neat story of how I even met them. I picked on his son. My first, if you know our story, we didn't plan to go to Faith. We thought we'd stay up in Canada. We had a great ministry up there. Um, and so when I preached, I preached a message on knowing God, and I said, some of you know God the way I know Josh Bray. And uh, I knew everything about Josh Bray because I vacation here every year. So I knew where the Walmart was in Kalispell. I knew everything about Kalispell. And I, he was a basketball player, so I knew how, how tall he was, how much he weighed, his eye color. So I got up and said, some of you know God the way I know Josh Bray. And I started listing off all the information about Josh Bray. And Josh is sitting in the audience going, I've never met that guy in my life before. <laughs> And, uh, and then I said, but you know what? I don't know if Josh is a good guy or a jerk uh, because I really don't know. I know about him, but I don't know him. And uh, so that got back to uh, Bethel down in Kalispell. And so Joan and I were vacationing like a few weeks after that. So he said, let's go down to Bethel because usually we're always here. And let's see if we can meet Josh's parents. And we walked in the Sunday. They were playing that clip from the sermon because they all thought it was so funny that the new president of faith had picked on someone from their church. <laughs> and, so, and I walked in, and the pastor's like, you're the new president of faith, aren't you? <laughs> so, kind of a funny story. So that's the last time we've been in the area. Beautiful, beautiful addition. Boy, your gym looks awesome. And uh, that's really great to come back and get to see that, of course. Uh, Joe and I went to college with Mark and Diane, and so good long-term friends there as well. If you're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's begin in verse 13 and we'll read down to verse 17. The Bible says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which have been taught whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and a good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. I want to preach this morning on good hope. Good hope. Let's open an order of prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the opportunity to open your word this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. Uh, God, you have been so good to all of us, and uh, God, for those of us who know for sure if we were to die, we'd wake up in heaven, uh, if that was the only hope we had, uh, Lord, what a blessing that would be, and yet uh, there are so many promises in your word, and uh, God, there are so many reasons to have hope, no matter how difficult and how challenging life can get, and Lord, I just pray that you would use this in our hearts and lives this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, for many people, 2020 was a rough year. Uh, in fact, a lot of people said, I can't wait to get through 2020. I uh, travel a lot in this role. Uh, it's funny, when I became the president of faith, I thought I was just going to sit at the college and disciple college students. Uh, I come to find out that has nothing to do with the job of being a president. And so, uh, really, I end up traveling uh, almost every weekend. And I don't know that I've met a pastor yet in this last year that says this didn't cause any problems. A lot of pastors said... It really revealed where our church was. Uh, it was really disappointing to see uh, what happened in our churches. And uh, people have left churches this last year over mask, no mask. 
um, people put their hope in an election. And when that election didn't go the way they wanted it to go, they lost hope. Maybe you've put it in finances. And uh, you look at the way we're spending money right now. And you say, boy, I'm, I'm getting nervous. Uh, I don't know what you put your hope in, but if you put your hope in anything besides Jesus Christ, you're bound to be disappointed. And, and yet I've seen a lot of disappointed Christians. Uh, maybe it's a personal issue that's just broken your heart. And you're starting to lose hope. You came in this morning and, and you're, pretty, you're pretty down. Uh, you're pretty beat up. And you say, what do you do when there's no hope? What do you do when you just feel like, I don't know how we're going to get through this. I don't know what God's doing. And this morning I want to speak on hope. Hal Lindsey said, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. If you've ever been hopeless, uh, Pastor Mark and I have worked with teenagers. Number one cause of suicide is among teenagers. Why would someone take their life? What have they lost? They've lost hope. And they made a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It really was a temporary problem, but it was so overwhelming to them at that moment. That problem was so huge to them that for them, they lost hope. And they just thought, there's no way out. There's no way this is going to get fixed. There's no way this is going to get better. If you have your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians. Well, you don't have to turn there. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, the Bible says, And now abideth faith, hope, love these three, but the greatest of these is love. Because God is love, because of who God is and how much he loved us, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because God loves you this morning, there's always hope. Keep your finger here, but go over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, look what he says in verse 12. That at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no, what's the word? Having no hope and without God in the world. In the trials and heartaches of life, And 2020 produced a lot of those. In the trials and heartaches of life, what you really believe will be tested. By the way, do you think that 2021 will not have heartaches and trials? We're all going to have heartaches and trials, right? And when you go through those things, you know what Satan wants to crush in that moment? He wants to crush hope. If your hope is anything besides God and the gospel, you may end up posting a picture of Instagram of yourself eating a rainbow-colored donut at a gay pride parade in Vancouver, Canada, as Josh Harris did. Those of you that remember Josh Harris, he posted he walked away from his faith. This was two years ago. He was famous for writing a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and it was a good challenge to stay pure until you're married. But that's true because God said so, not because Josh Harris said so. But if your hope was in Josh Harris, what happens when he does something that crazy? You know what? Have you ever heard the saying, we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Can you think of another famous apologist who just came out a few months ago that was not the real deal? And if your hope is in that famous apologist and it comes out that he was a fraud, what happens? And this is why your hope can't be in a person. 
It can't be in a church. It can't be in being a Baptist. It can't be in an institution like Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. Your hope has to be in Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's your only source of hope. Because that's the only thing that can't change. You realize everything else in your life can change? And it can change that fast, right? I was, not quite two years ago, I was out speaking in New York, and my grandmother lives there, so I flew in early. I flew in on a Thursday night. I got in, I was going to spend Friday, Saturday, and drive over. The church was two hours from my grandmother. And got up Friday morning like normal, and uh, had breakfast with my grandmother. Uh, If you know my grandmother, she's just turned 100 this year, but she still loves to spoil me anytime I go there. And so she had made this great breakfast at 99 years old, and we were going to have lunch together, and about 11 o'clock, my dad called and said, Jim, where are you? And I said, well, I'm out in New York State, and he's, my parents live in Midland, Michigan, 10 hours away, or not 10 hours away, about five to six hours away from where I was in New York. He said, hey, Mom had an accident. Uh, she fell off a ladder. She's hit her head. Uh, we're taking her to the hospital, um, and... Uh, it looks, the doctors are telling us it's routine. They're going to take her into surgery, relieve the pressure on her brain. Um, don't really know if you need to come or not, but just thought you should be aware. And uh, those of you that know my story of leaving Canada to go to faith, my youngest sister died in that transition. And so uh, we were halfway across Montana driving down when I got the call that my sister died. And I said, well, Dad, I'm only six hours away. I'm just going to drive over. You know, I'll see Mom. I'll drive back. I'll still be back in time to preach Sunday morning. No problem. And Dad said, well, Jim, it's totally up to you. You don't need to do that. But, you know, if you want to, I'm sure Mom would appreciate it. So my grandma totally understood. I hopped in my car. I was halfway across Canada. If you know New York and Michigan, you drive across Canada. I was halfway across Canada. And my dad called and said, Jim, you need to pull the car over. And I pulled the car over, and he said, the surgeon just came out and just told us that mom's not going to make it. Um, But they're going to try to keep her alive till you can get here. And so I picked up the pace, and I got to Midland, Michigan. There was someone meeting me at the parking lot and took me immediately up to intensive care. And my mom was on a ventilator and tubes. The whole top of her head was wrapped and unresponsive. And my other sister was from Ankeny as well. She got the call. She's trying to make it there as well. And she got held up in traffic around Chicago. And the team came in about 8 o'clock and said, we, we've done everything we can for your mom. She's going to code. If we keep going like this, we put her as much fluids as we can. And if she codes, that's not how you're going to want to remember the last moment with your mom. We're recommending you take her off the ventilator. But we promise you that when that happens, she will die. And I had two sisters left and myself, and my dad's holding my mom's hand on one side, I'm holding my mom's hand on the other. You know, in that moment, you pray for a miracle. And I did. God, let them be wrong. God, when they take that ventilator off, let her heart keep beating. And they pulled that plug, and you just watch those beats slow down, and in 10 minutes it went to a flat line, and my mom went into eternity. And my dad just sobbed. I'm not sure I know if it's better to lose someone in an accident 
or to have a long illness. I think both are terrible. It's hard to lose someone. But do you feel a little lost at that moment? Did you lose some hope? Did I think that's how I'd say goodbye to my mom? It's not what I thought. But you know how fast that happened? I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I promise you all of us are going to go through hard things. And I I read a book. It's funny because I was at a conference and I heard a man speak on dark waters, deep mercy. And that one out of every three psalms is a lament. I didn't know that. And I started reading that book. I bought it, but I started reading it when my mom passed away. And as I read through that book, he makes a statement in the book. He says, hard is not bad. Hard is just hard. But when you're in a hard moment, you don't necessarily believe that. Because you know what you think? Hard is bad. But you know what you'll find when God brings you through? Hard was just hard. But boy, when you're in the thick of it, it sure seems bad. And in those moments, what are you going to do? You know what some people do? They walk away from their faith. Some people walk away from God and they say, God, if you let my mom die like this, I'm done. I'm not praying anymore. When I lost my sister, you know what I thought? I got mad at God. Really, God, I'm well, Joan and I, we 18 years in the greatest ministry, even in all five years of travel, I've never seen a ministry better than Meadowlands. All first-generation Christians loved Joan and I deeply. And God made it clear he wanted us to go to faith. We need this many people at faith. I've been to Iowa twice in my whole life. God's asking us to leave everyone we love and go to a place we don't know anyone. We don't even know where we're going to go to church. And in that transition, that's when my sister died. You know what I thought? Really, God? Like, really, this couldn't have waited a couple months till we found a church? Or this couldn't have happened a couple months earlier when we had a church family that loved us? Like, in your great plan, now this is the moment. And it took me probably a good week. A lot of things went wrong during that time. Our stuff got held up at the border. My wife got a terrible case of poison ivy. Um, We weren't from faith, so there wasn't a lot of people super excited that I was the president. Um, there's a lot of challenges. And, and you know what I had to come through? Hard is not bad. Hard is just hard. But I want to stand here and say the only one who got me through that time was Jesus Christ, was God. I think my wife would say the same thing. Why? Because we didn't have anybody else. I remember I had a 16-year-old daughter. Imagine doing a move like that with a 16-year-old who grew up in Canada, great youth group, great Christian school, and goes to no Christian school, homeschooling for her last two years in a place she doesn't know anybody. We're all struggling, and I, we sat down at a family discussion, and I said, I'm trying to think of what hasn't changed in her life, and I'm thinking, God hasn't changed. God's word hasn't changed. And I kind of had this whole devotional all planned. We sat down at the table, and I we finished. I said, guys, we, we're all having a hard time here. We need to think about what hasn't changed. 
And Beth thought about it for a second. She goes, well, our last name. (laughs) In her mind, the only thing that hadn't changed was her last name. Like in her world, everything changed. Do those moments test your hope? Some of you, you your plan is the rapture, right? Your plan isn't to have a spouse die first. Man, my dad's had a hard time. He's walking with the Lord. He's a godly man, but it's lonely. And that wasn't his plan. But does my dad lose hope? Does my dad say, this is dumb? By the way, isn't there a lot you learn from Job and all of that? And all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Boy, when you're going through a hard time, it's hard. <laughs> and it feels bad. But hard is not bad. Hard is just hard. And if you come back to our text, there's the hope in this passage of Scripture. Second Thessalonians. Don't put your faith and hope in an institution, a professor, a pastor, or a church. Put it in God. And we're going to go back to verse 13. Really, we're spending our time in verses 15 to 17, but when he says, therefore, therefore is always pointing back to something, and therefore in verse 15 is pointing back to verses 13 and 14. Therefore, because you are beloved of the Lord and saved. And again, I'm a guest speaker. I do know a lot of you because I come here so often. But there's a few that I don't know. If you're not a Christian, I'm preaching to Christians this morning. Those that know for sure if they were to die, they go to heaven. If you don't know that, that's the most important thing you need to settle. But if you're here and you say, I do know that, God's saying, because you're beloved of the Lord and saved. We love him because why, the Bible says. Because he first loved us. God sent Jesus Christ to pay a terrible price to pay for our sins and provide a place in heaven. Heaven is described in Revelation as a place of no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no more pain. Your circumstances do not change God's love for you or what he did for you on the cross. You know what I had to work through? is My sister is in heaven and so is my mom. And when I got mad at God for a while there, you know what I had to come to? Isn't this weird that I'm upset with the God who's taking care of my sister? That's kind of dumb. But that's how I felt for a while. I just thought, you know what? She's with the Lord. I can't stay mad at him anymore. I wouldn't be here today if I stayed bitter over that. I can tell you, five and a half years later, I still don't see how that makes any sense to me. But I have to leave that with the Lord and say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I will understand it someday when I get to heaven. But as... Be coming back to verse 15. Therefore, because you're loved and because you're saved, because there's a heaven and because God loves you, therefore, brethren, stand fast. That's an interesting phrase in the Greek. It has the idea of hold your ground. Don't retreat. Hang on like your life depends on it. If you're a fisherman or a fisherwoman, <laughs> when you go fishing and that fish bites, you don't hang on to that rod loosely, Right? Man, you got to hang on to that rod, because you don't hang on to that rod, you're going to lose your rod. But some of you are going to have to really think back to me. If you, you know, we have a camp guy here, too, but you put a floating dock in teenagers, what always eventually happens? It always becomes king of the dock, right? 
And there's one guy on the dock trying to keep everyone else off the dock, and everyone in the water is trying to get on the dock and knock that guy off. Or if you have a big snow pile, becomes king of the mountain, right? What's king of the mountain? One guy on the top of the mountain, everyone's climbing the mountain to knock that guy off. And Stan Fast has the idea, no one's taking me off this dock. No one's knocking me off this mountain. I am staying on. I'm going to hang on. But I think the best illustration, again, you have a lot of lakes here, has you ever gone tubing? Where someone's pulling you on a boat, it's tied to a tube. What's the goal of the driver of the boat? (laughs) The goal of the driver of the boat is to get the guy on the tube off the tube. And what's the guy on the tube? What's his main goal? To stay on the tube. And the only way you stay on the tube is what? Hold tight. I've held on a tube or me and the tube are off the water. Have you ever seen that? They whip it. You are off the water. The tube's off the water. And your whole thought is, I am not going to go off this tube (laughs) because I'm going to die if I go off this tube. You're going to hold fast. And that's what God says here in in this passage, stand fast. When things are going wrong, when the election doesn't go the way you want it to, when COVID causes you to lose your job, when circumstances of life, when you lose a loved one, when everything is going wrong, what do you do in that moment? The Bible says here, stand fast. When things aren't going the way you planned, when things are breaking your heart, what do you do? You stand fast. My mom was going through a devotional that I, my dad and I started doing together, New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. And she'd also had a statement that she'd written out and stuck in her devotional book, Worshiper First, Worker Second. I can't tell you how many times I've reversed that. I can work hard. And I've been a worker first and a worshiper second. Man, I totally connect with Martha. You know what I'm talking about? I get Martha. Hey, Mary, are you ever going to get out here and help me? And what's Mary doing sitting at the feet of Jesus? I mean, and Martha's so ticked off, she thinks Jesus is on her side, right? I think she rattled the pans first, and Mary didn't show up. (laughs) And she's just in the kitchen, and she's getting more and more ticked. And as her blood pressure is rising, she finally gets so mad, she goes out and tells Jesus what to do. Jesus, would you tell my sister to get out here and help me? And She wouldn't have said that if she didn't think Jesus would be on her side, right? Remember Jesus' response? Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the most important thing. But you know what a lot of us think is most important? Getting the work done. How have your devotions been this last week? Do you read your Bible every day? You know why a lot of people don't read their Bible every day? We're too busy. We've got to get the work done. How's your prayer life been this last week? You know why a lot of our prayer lives stink? Because we're getting the work done. You know what Jesus would say to you this morning if he could talk to you? Jim, Jim, you're missing the most important thing. I want to challenge you when things go wrong, what do you hold fast to? You know what my default is, and my wife is sitting here, and she knows this. When things go wrong, you know what I do? I work more. That sound like a Bible verse to anybody? There's a verse in Psalms that says, It is vain to get up early and stay up late unless the 
Lord builds the house. You labor in vain that build it. If you hold on to work, you're going to be disappointed. But that's not what you're to stand fast on. Just stand fast on God's word. You say, I can't, I can't afford to lose my devotion time. I can't afford to lose my prayer time. When COVID struck, we had to send our kids home in one day from a college. All colleges had to. We lost room and board. I mean, if you remember, it's almost a year ago. It was a year ago on spring break. We came back from spring break. I got, flew home and went right to the office. We had an emergency meeting on Sunday. Had another emergency meeting on Monday. On Monday, our governor said no groups over 10. That's a problem in a Christian college. And we knew that that means we're sending everyone home tomorrow with like 12 hours notice. I remember bringing all the college students in that night, emergency meeting. And Joan and I showed up and said, guys, we don't even know how to tell you this, but we have to send all of you home tomorrow. We're going to try and finish the rest of the school year online. I used to think Zoom was how fast I ran. (laughs) Zoom is a college platform I'm really familiar with now. Some of you are laughing because we can look at you and tell Zoom is not what you thought, how fast you ran. (laughs) But you know what we did as an admin team? We met every day, Monday to Friday, to pray. And we did that from that moment all the way through graduation in May. And everyone is telling us fall, every college is going to drop 20%. That is just not, there's no question about it. You're going to drop 20%. That's a big problem for us. Met with our board, and they said, you need to come up with a disaster plan. And that disaster plan meant cutting people. It meant huge pay cuts across the board. It was the only way we could survive a 20% drop. That is an ugly ugly process. In fact, Paul Bray and I had to work through that. And Paul Bray and I worked through that, had our disaster plan, and came to the fall. No travel. So all the things you do to recruit students. No traveling. Our traveling teams came off the road. All Christian schools canceled, so you can't go visit Christian schools. Our scholarship weekend canceled. You can't have everyone visit our campus. I mean, you just think about everything you do to recruit goes to zero that fast and of course you're going to drop how could that not happen we got to the fall and our college grew 7% and our seminary grew 28% and I shared that with someone and they came up to me and they said have you ever thought maybe that happened because you guys spent all that time in prayer (laughs) that is a really good point (laughs) worshiper first worker second Stand fast. God sent Jesus Christ to pay a terrible price for our sin. And as we think about all that he's done for us in this place that he's prepared for us, the Bible says, hold your ground, don't retreat. Hang on like your life depended on it. These are imperatives that are present tense. Keep on standing fast. Keep on holding on. Look what he says here. Stand fast and hold the traditions. What you hold on to matters. The word tradition here simply means that which is handed down from one person to another. There's a different Greek word that's used to denote Jewish or human traditions. This isn't saying stand fast and hold the traditions like human traditions. It's talking about stand fast and hold the traditions passed on by the apostles, held on to the word of God. This is what, when things go wrong, this is what you hang on to. 
Have you found that Psalms always means more when things are going wrong? And you get into the Psalms when everything's going wrong and you go like, man, this ministers to my heart. Man, this is exactly what I needed right now. One out of every three Psalms is a lament. By the way, read the lament Psalms. How do they all start? No hope. How does everyone end? But I will trust in you. But there is hope. Every lament is like that. It's hopeless. But I work it through. No, there's hope. There's hope in Christ. Here and in uh, chapter 3, verse 6, the word tradition has the idea of gospel teachings or truth. Um, look at uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the same name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Uh, look at verse 10. From when we should, um, or no, excuse me, not uh, verse 10, but verse 10 of chapter 2. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And again, just for sake of time, I don't have time to prove all of this, but the Greek word tradition here is clearly talking about God's word. In other words, when the trials come, hold on to truth like your life depended on it, because they give hope. And we go to verse 16, have hope. Verse 16, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. You must decide if Jesus Christ is just a man. If so, Jesus lies in an unknown grave, ignorant of all that's going on here. And the notion that he can help is a dream and a lie. Or he's real. And if he's real, then he can help you. He can help in the difficult, heartbreaking situations we all go through. We must believe in the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to verse 19, I don't have time to go there. But he says, if Christ is not risen from the grave, we are of all men most miserable. We have what? No hope. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, if there is no life after this life, if God is not sitting in heaven this morning, there's no hope. But you know why there's hope this morning? Because he is sitting in heaven. He did rise from the dead, just as he said. I love Easter. In fact, at our home, I cranked all the Easter songs very early in the morning. We had a sunrise service, literally at sunrise at our church. And people showed up, believe it or not. And we'd get there just as the sun is coming up, and we would say, He has risen, and the church would respond, He has risen indeed. Man, I love that. Remember when the women came back and told the apostles that? Did they like, yeah, that's what we thought? (laughs) No, they all run back themselves to see it. And then when he shows up that night, one of them isn't there. Remember Thomas? And what's tagged to Thomas? What's the word in front of Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Only because he was the only one not there. Had any of the rest of them been not there, they'd have been tagged the same way. Hey, you won't believe it. Jesus, we just saw him tonight. Remember Thomas? As I put my finger in the nail prints and in his hand, I don't believe you. And the next time they all get together, Jesus shows up and calls out Thomas. Thomas, would you like to come forward? Remember Thomas's response? My Lord, my God. English translation, I'm good. I'm good. Wow. There's another life after this life. Wow, we saw you dead. And here you are. Wow. There is hope. My church up in Canada, I never thought I'd leave. And they knew that if I, well, at my funeral, my family might still do this. 
I said, when they bury me, I want an open casket. I want a hand like this. I want a fork in my hand. I want everyone to walk by my casket and go, what's up with the fork? Have you ever been to someone's house and you finish the meal and they say, save your fork? What does that mean? It means there's dessert, right? And I want people to walk by and see that fork and go, what's up with the fork? Hey, there's dessert. You know the worst thing that can happen to you is you wake up tomorrow and you're still here? It's not bad to wake up in heaven. And there's always hope this morning. We believe that Christ is the Son of God and we can pray to and know that he hears us and is able to help us. This gives hope at three important areas of life. Number one, it gives hope at a funeral. Two weeks after my mom passed away in an accident, we had a student who had just gotten married on Saturday, just finished his pastoral internship on Friday, married on Saturday, went down to Florida for their honeymoon, went out swimming in the ocean. He got caught in a riptide and drowned. Two years before that, he came from a very small town in Iowa. Two years before that, a girl, which was his classmate, a girl named Molly Tibbetts, uh, had been murdered. And here in this small town in the same gymnasium were two funerals within two years of two classmates. But you know what? There was hope at Dalton's funeral. Why? Because Dalton was in heaven. The Bible says if you lose a loved one, we sorrow, but what? Not as those who have no what? Hope. You know, and if you've gone to a funeral, man, I grieved as much as losing my mom as seeing how my dad went through that. I mean, my dad's a tough guy. I bet I've seen him cry five times in my entire lifetime, and I've never seen him sob like when my mom died. But you know what my dad knows? My dad knows he'll see her again. Why? There's hope. Man, do you sorrow? Do you grieve? But have you ever been to a hopeless funeral? First funeral Joan and I ever did. <laughs> She's playing the piano. I'm doing the service. My first one in my life, my assistant pastor, led this couple to the Lord. And because I was the only pastor, they knew they wanted me to do the funeral. They're all from Canada. And they all come down. And this lady literally came up, draped herself over the coffin, and just screamed and sobbed. I didn't know what to do. I've never seen anything like it. You know what she had? No hope. Man, you lose a loved one, it hurts like fire. But you know what? If they're saved, there's hope. I'll see him again. Number two, he gives hope in battling sin. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 13. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above your able. But with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Have you ever had a sin that so gripped you that you started to lose hope? A sin that so gripped you that you just felt like, I don't know if I can have a victory. But you know, as a pastor of a first-generation church, I've seen people have a victory over drugs. I've seen people have a victory over lust. I've seen people have a victory over smoking. I used to tell people I had the largest group of ex-smokers. And smoking is a hard thing to quit. I've had people quit drinking. You know why? Because there's always hope. And I, it wasn't easy for some of our people. Some of them, it took years to have a victory. 
And then in a first-generation church, everyone was gracious. Everyone said, hey, it's a, take as long as it takes. I mean, I, it's funny. Sometimes the hardest people are the people who had a victory. You know, people that used to smoke, and they see someone smoking before they come in the parking lot, and they're just coming. Do you see that guy? And I'm like, that was just you two years ago. What are you all worked up about? What do you want me to do, go out and throw a gallon of water on him? What's your, what's your problem? You know what they'd all, then they start remembering, right? They're like, oh, oh yeah, you're right, Pastor. <laughs> I, I used to smoke it. I used to put cigarettes out before I came. Oh, man, why am I so hard on that guy? I'm, you're right. I'm so sorry. But you know what? I've seen people who have a victory. But you know what Satan wants you to do? Give up hope. I don't know what you might be battling in the area of sin, but don't give up hope. You can have a victory. You can never look at pornography again. You can never smoke a cigarette again. You can never get drunk again. You can never do drugs again. You can never fill in the blank, lose your temper, and, and smash and break things. You can have victories in these areas. But you know what Satan tries to get everyone to do? Give up hope. Can't be done. I'll never have a victory. That's not true. There's always hope. Jesus Christ says so in the, in the Bible. And thirdly, this gives hope when life is hard. Go to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5, look what he says in verses 3 to 5. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience what? Hope. Man, I don't know about you, I hate tribulations. By the way, did Paul have a tough life? Five times he's whipped 39 times. Just think, just that alone. What did his back look like? I mean, just, it had to just be a mass of scars. Twice he spent a night and a day in the deep. I mean, he's been stoned to death where they think they killed him. I mean, this guy did not have a great ministry. You know what Paul says at the end of his life? I fought a good fight, I finished the course. All these things work together. Patience, experience, experience, hope. And notice verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Someone made this statement. One perseveres an adventure joyfully and expectantly as long as you have a hope of success. But when you lose hope, you're done. And I don't know what you're going through that's hard. I don't know what sin you're struggling with. I don't know if you're going through the loss of a loved one, but there's hope for all three of those. Because God says so. Let's go back and we'll finish very quickly. Second Thessalonians. Verse 15, stand fast and hang on. Verse 16, have hope. And lastly, make your life count. Verse 17, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Paul prayed this for the Thessalonians and it's, my desire to share that this morning from God's word. Paul was concerned about two aspects of the Christian life, their words and their work, their saying and their doing, which is really going to flow into my morning message, and I just preach on talk is cheap. It's good to be defenders of the faith, but we must not forget to be demonstrators of the faith. I've seen a lot of defenders of the faith that aren't very Christian. They're not very nice. And you're like, hey, I've had people lose their mind over which version of the Bible they use. And I'm just like, man, I just wish you'd read one. <laughs> I'm glad you know which Bible version you like. Just too bad you don't ever read it. 
People always like to ask me, what's your favorite Bible translation? I said a red one. That's my answer. Whichever one you read every day, that's, that's my favorite translation. A red one. Lazarus did not have to go give lectures on the resurrection. They just had to see him, and they believed. Don't fall into despair. Praise God he loved you, he gave himself for you, and because of that there is hope. And because of that good hope, be established in every good word and work, as he tells us in verse 17. Make your life count. What do you say and how do you act when things are hard? I would just close with this. When we fall apart, when things are hard, does that give hope? to the people around us in the next generation? Or does it cause them to lose hope? When we fall apart, when everything is hard, you know what I just told a whole bunch of college students? It's no hope. But when I can go through a really difficult situation, we've had our share of them at faith. We've had a flood, loss of a student. It could go on and on, COVID. <laughs> when you go through those things and you hang on to this, and you get up in front of people and say, I don't have all the answers. I don't know, but I'm telling you, we're hanging on to this. I don't know what's going to happen next year, next month, but we're hanging on to this. We're not quitting on this. We're not going to quit on God. I, I don't know what, when COVID's going to get over, but we're not going to quit. You know, when, when the people around us see what we hang on to when life is hard, that's whether you will give them hope or not. You know why a lot of young people leave church? Because they don't see any hope in church. They see people who go through hard things in church and fall apart just like everyone else does. You know what our young people need to see? They need to see that we're different. I always say this, don't be weird, be different, right? <laughs> There's a lot of weird Christians out there. We don't need more weird ones, right? But we do need more different ones. And what you hold on to matters. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that you've given us in your word. God, that you tell us that you are the God of hope. And God, help us to not be workers first. Help us to be worshipers first. Help us to hang on and hold fast to your word and the promises. And God, when things are hard, help us to run to you, not from you. And God, you know who's struggling this morning. Maybe there's someone battling a secret sin that no one in this room knows about. And and they've been so discouraged. I pray they leave encouraged this morning. I pray they leave reminded that they can have a victory. It may take a week, a month, a year, five years, but God, they can have a victory. Help them never to lose hope. Maybe there's someone going through a difficult time this morning and they're starting to lose hope. God, encourage their heart this morning. Remind them that with you there's always hope. Maybe there's some here this morning who've lost a loved one as as I have, as my dad has. God, remind them that though it may have totally changed their life and though they are battling loneliness this morning, there is still hope. And Lord, as we come before you this morning, we just acknowledge that we are a needy people. We need you. We can't go through life without you. And Lord, without you, there would be no hope. We would be, of all men, most miserable. But Lord, we're so thankful and we're so grateful that you rose from the dead just as you said. There is another life after this life. And because of who you are and because of what you did for us on the cross, there is always hope. 
God, may we cling to that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.